KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. You've surely by now heard about the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Been a lot of concern about what this variant could mean with regards to vaccines. Could it make you sicker? Is it more transmissible? We wanted to talk about what we know and what we don't know. So we caught up with Dr. Michael Levasseur. He is an assistant professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at Drexel University's Dornsife School of Public Health. So to start... What is it about this Omicron variant that has seemingly sounded the alarm globally? Well, I think the thing that's most impressive about this variant is the large number of mutations that exist on it. Um, On the spike protein alone, I think there's something like uh, 30 mutations um, across the entire genome, something around 50 different mutations, um, some of which we're familiar with that we've seen in other variants, um, some that are new and we're not quite sure what they do yet. But a lot of these happen to exist in regions that we know uh, increase infectivity and potentially be uh, involved with um, immune evasion and vaccine evasion, potentially. You talk about these mutations uh, for folks that kind of hear this stuff in passing. Are all these mutations from the last variant or are they from the original strain? Um, I'm not sure that that's entirely clear yet. I've seen some of that. They're called phylogenetic trees. You may have seen these before, these branches um, that I'm I'm signaling as as though the audience is going to be able to see this. You know, these these branches that show, um, you know, how things are related to one another. You might remember that from, you know, your biology class back in high school. Um, But I've seen some of these and and it's a it's a little uh, a little still up in the air as to uh, how this is related to other. Uh, circulating coronaviruses, so far as we know. The I, the thing that took me back as well was just the sheer number of mutations they were talking about. How exactly does that happen to that length? Is this something, I mean, just explain kind of how you can have this, what would appear to a layman to be like this Frankenstein mutation. Sure. Um, and it's not all that difficult to conceive of if, you know, you have a good understanding of immunology and, and how the body fights uh, infections. A couple months ago, I saw a paper, um, I think it was based out of the UK, looking at a patient um, who was immunocompromised, who got a, a, a COVID infection. And this infection lasted for, I think, 30 days until the patient ultimately succumbed to the virus. But they had several treatment regimens throughout the course of their infection, including some uh, convalescent sera. And what you can see is at each day or every couple of days, they would they would do like another a PCR swab, a nasal swab, and then they'd sequence um, what came out. And they showed that that in this patient who's immunocompromised, basically the immune system would launch a sort of weak attack, and the virus would some of the, pieces of virus would succumb to that attack and others would be like, ha you missed me. And those that it missed are going to propagate. That's just evolution. Um, and so some of those by chance alone will have a mutation on them that is beneficial uh, in evading the immune response. And so basically what you have is you have a patient who has a weakened immune system who is launching um, a weaker response to the virus and then sometimes getting medications and it's changing the population of virus within the individual. And so that is one of the mechanisms by which we can see uh, mutants evolving in COVID, especially so quickly in a single patient. Uh, I believe with um, with Omicron, it is uh, hypothesized. I'm not sure that this has been proven yet, uh, but everything is still evolving. 
um, that this may have occurred in um, an HIV positive patient. Uh, that patient is immunocompromised. And obviously, you know, these things happen. Um, and coronaviruses in particular have a fairly high mutation rate. So part of, you know, what we need to do is make sure that people who are mounting an immune response have a very strong immune response so that we can uh, help prevent additional mutations from propagating. In the coverage of this, uh, it's obviously been a lot of sound the alarm, but there has also been this foreboding tone that, oh no, it's possible that everything we've done is for naught and this is going to take us back to square one. That doesn't, I mean, as concerning as this is, that doesn't sound realistic. Am I being too pie in the sky or is it pretty much an open question? Um, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I think, you know, there's a new, there's a new uh, variant that has a large number of mutations. I don't think now is certainly the time to panic, but, you know, I don't think any time was, it was the time to panic. We're looking into it. You know, we'll have more information in the weeks to come about how effective vaccines are, how severe disease is. There's a couple of really positive scenarios that could, that could come out of this. And of course, there are always the nightmare scenarios. Uh, at the end of the day, the public health messaging stays exactly the same. Social distancing, wear a mask, get vaccinated, stay home if you're sick, wash your hands. None of that is changing. All that's changing is potentially that this, this virus is more uh, infectious and potentially more um, likely to evade vaccines. That's, that's what we hypothesize right now. Why Can you kind of explain why this would evade vaccines? Kind of what is it that would allow it to not be hampered by the vaccine like it had been before? Sure. So we can talk about, um, I think we could focus the conversation on neutralizing antibodies, although there's some evidence that it's actually class two antibodies that are having this impact. And I am not an expert in immunology. Um, I just have a fleeting understanding of it. So that might be a conversation for an immunologist. But uh, that, that being said, um, if we're talking about neutralizing antibodies, antibodies work sort of as a lock and key mechanism. Um, the key to your house doesn't operate the key to your car, or the key to your gym locker or whatever. So it's very specific. So you have, you know, the, the, the antibody will recognize pieces of the antigen and attach to it. And if those pieces change, then the antibodies can't recognize it anymore. And they're just sort of floating around being like, I don't see anything. And so what some of these mutations are, are potentially doing is changing the shape of the spike protein and changing certain important places that, um, that antibodies are responding to. That doesn't mean that your body's not going to generate new antibodies. And it doesn't mean that new vaccines can't be developed that will recognize them. We worry about it evading vaccines. We worry about the increased uh, transmittability. For me, my big concern is... Is it more serious if you get sick with this? Is it more likely to cause death? Is it more likely to cause long COVID, long hospitalization? Do we have any inkling on that? I've heard a lot about it could be more infectious and it could evade vaccines, but I haven't heard much. And if anything, I've heard the other direction that it's very that what's been seen in South Africa and some other places is is relatively air quotes, mild. What do we know about this? Nothing. We know nothing. But here's here's why we don't know much. Um, as is the case in South Africa, they have a fairly young population. I think it's something like less than 3% or 6% of the population is over 65 years of age. I forget the exact proportion. So they're a younger population for all sorts of reasons, um, up to and including you know, the, the AIDS crisis ravaging uh, their populations. 
And those who got sick initially with this virus were largely university students who are younger. I could tell you from our population of, of students at Drexel that they tend to have much more mild disease than those uh, individuals who are older. So it's impossible to know because those who have been infected so far, as we know, um, have had mild disease because they're younger and they have fewer comorbidities and whatnot. I should say that it's entirely possible, and th I think that there's reason for hope, historically at least, there's the possibility that this winds up becoming less deadly and becoming, you know, less pathogenic and virulent. It's just, you know, it's more transmissible and, you know, you're feeling bad for a couple of days, but then you get up and you go on with the rest of your life. And that would be an example of, of a virus becoming less severe over time um, as it mutates, as it evolves, as it gets used to being in the human body. Is that not just, I'm not just for COVID-19, but is that usually what we see as they circulate, mute, that they become less and not for nothing, they're not as foreign anymore to the, the human body, correct? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, the other circulating coronaviruses, um, the four of them that we previously would have called the common cold, they all showed up at different times in human history. One of them uh, may have come up around 1890 which coincided with what we have been referring to as the Russian flu. Now, there's no evidence to suggest that the Russian flu was this coronavirus that is now just circulating normally. But, you know, it's it's a possibility that that's one of the things that, that happens with coronaviruses as they enter human populations. Was this variant with these types of mutations, on, as long as we weren't vaccinated at the a very high level. Was this kind of inevitable we were going to see something like this? I wouldn't say inevitable because there's a whole lot of chance involved. Um, it could have had fewer mutations. It could have had more. I mean, variants certainly are, well, I shouldn't say variants, but mutations are inevitable. The number, the, the breadth and the depth of them is not necessarily inevitable. So, you know, in the, in the case of South Africa, sure, they have um, a lower vaccination rate than we do in the United States. But this didn't necessarily happen because someone was not vaccinated. This happened in an immunocompromised patient who may not have even been able to develop uh, an appropriate antibody response following vaccination. So, um, <clears throat> you know, vaccination is still really important to stop the spread of the disease to protect yourself from having severe illness. But vaccination in and of itself isn't going to be the only thing that takes us out of this. Do you expect this to overtake Delta as the 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 dominant strain, or is that still to be determined? Oh, I think it's still to be determined. We're seeing it outcompete um, Delta elsewhere. I think it's Delta. It's outcompeting something. I don't want to say it's Delta and then look back and realize that it's not Delta. Um, but I think in, in South Africa, we're already seeing evidence that it's outcompeting uh, whatever the predominant strain there was. And it was likely Delta, but I, I just don't know off the top of my head. And, uh, and, and more rapidly than Delta overtook Alpha, um, I should point out. So the rate at which it is overtaking is, um, is very quick. And that's either good news or bad news. Um, it is potentially good news if what we're talking about is a disease that is more transmissible but causes less disease. If that's the case, then it would be nice to have something that gets rid of the rest of the virus that is more deadly. Uh, and, and what we're left with is something that, yeah, it sucks to have for a couple of days, but ultimately, you know, it's it's manageable. Now, there's no indication that that's the case yet, that this is going to be uh, less severe. It's just what I'm hoping for. <laughs> and how long, once again, we're talking here on December 1st, 
how long do you think it will be before we have a pretty good handle what we're dealing with and and how to attack it? Is this something you think by the new year we'll have a pretty strong idea of what it is or will it take longer than that, you think? I hope so. I mean, the the rate limiting factor here is, um, are there going to be enough people who are infected for us to get a sense of how quickly it spreads, how severe the disease is? It may be that we contain this fairly quickly. I doubt it, but, you know, who knows? And then, you know, getting that information, compiling it, having, you know, multiple different contexts suggesting the same thing, um, that will give us the information that we need. Um, and then uh, I, I believe that the sequences have already been sent to the major uh, vaccine manufacturers uh, around the world to you know, get a heads up on how to approach a, a vaccine against this um, in the event that it's needed. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>